Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus. Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good read. Only someone who is ready for everything, who doesn't exclude any experience, even the most incomprehensible, will live the relationship with another person as something alive and will himself sound the depths of his own being. Welcome to Divine Relationships, the 139th episode of Three Pagans on Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 19th century poet Rainier Maria Rilke. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father, and really happy they don't have to read anybody's name today. <laughs> may I meet? My name is Gwyn Ode's mother. And I'm kind of glad you don't have to read everybody's name. This it week. takes a yeah, long time. And I know nothing about this topic because I didn't find out until I left for the brewery today. Yeah, Ode fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> this was a topic we were going to, to cover two weeks ago. And then we just... It got displaced. Right. And I forgot to tell everyone we were doing it this week. <laughs> yep. But uh, for now, we have housekeeping. So, Carr. Talk about the things you do. I actually don't do shit anymore. I know. Uh, it's work. So you do one thing. I, yeah, I, I work at American Brewers slash Norse Neckers, which takes up the majority of my time. But I also do every other Tuesday night, uh, Three Pagans on Tap with Sarah Odinson and Malik Odinson. And you can find that on Facebook and or YouTube. We also have a Patreon. So if you want to support us there, that would be great. And they could use more patrons because mm-hmm. they have to buy alcohol for that show. Yes. And that's basically all I do now. I no longer host the Sunday get together on Zoom. Mm-hmm. It looks like other people are. They yes. are. And so thank you guys for picking up that. It's uh, now an unofficial Zoom call. Yep. yep. Run but, purely by the pride. That's but right. Thank you guys for picking up that uh, mantle mm-hmm. and running it because I'm now open on Sundays at the brewery. And so my life has changed as mm-hmm. to how that works. Going to talk about the things you do. I write. That's pretty much all I'm doing these days is writing. And where are you writing? Patheos Pagan, the Three Pagans and Cat Blog. And I'm trying to get things have gotten a little busy. I do want to say though that I am going to be on April 22nd. I'm going to be doing an online ritual to honor the Earth Deity for Earth Day. And people can find that on Green Earth Witchcraft Traditions Facebook page, 7 p.m. Eastern. It is going to be Facebook Live, so it can be recorded and people can watch it when they're able to if they're in a different time zone. They're both stepping back a little bit, I yeah. guess, from the extra And Owen, what, what do you do? Nothing. Just this. <laughs> so I think that's all our housekeeping, pretty much. I think so. So we're house kept. We're house kept and? House swept. All right. Now we can start on this topic that Carr... Uh, has I absolutely not, no clue about. I did not give Carr a chance to prepare. We have talked a little bit before about working with deities. We had an episode about that. But that was... We focused a little more on... A little less on relationships. More on I practical guess, matters. More on practical stuff. And there are a lot of people who have not just devotional, but complex, nuanced, emotional relationships mm-hmm. with their gods. I figured it was... We should do an episode about some of those subjects. Yes. And wasn't this one that was requested? Yes. This was one that was requested a long, long time ago. So, uh, you see, we by do somebody get to who them. may or may not be listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, We do get to them eventually. Yeah. Just take anything, the anything you put in episode suggestions, I do read, and it gets put on a list, and I sort and shuffle them. Yep. <laughs> 
and we're going to cover several. So we're not going to like, we're not going to get into too much, I guess, depth with any one, but we're going to give sort of an overview and I guess our understandings of them because we don't necessarily have these relationships with all of these kinds of relationships with deities. I think something that it might be useful to distinguish, I guess, is there are different kinds of polytheism and these relationships can interact differently depending on the kind of polytheism you practice. And we have talked about polytheism and the different types mm -hmm. uh, in a previous episode. Yes, theism and non-theism. Theism and non-theism. Yeah. So if you want a really detailed discussion mm -hmm. about, about that. About the isms. About the isms. About the isms, <laughs> then go check out that particular episode. episode. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think for our purposes, what you really need to know is the difference between like hard polytheism yeah. and soft polytheism. Mm -hmm. Overview again. Soft polytheism is generally defined as a type of polytheism that incorporates the belief that multiple gods may have multiple aspects or facets and may all be emanations from one or a few sources. Mm -hmm. Hard polytheism is a belief that each individual god is a separate identifiable being mm -hmm. with its own personality and areas of influence and focuses. Although some of those like powers and areas of authority may overlap, mm -hmm. those gods are ultimately distinct individuals. Exactly. For some of these, we might include monotheism. Yeah, yes, there have absolutely been the types of relationships we're going to be discussing today in monotheistic religions. Mm -hmm. And so monotheism is the belief that there is one God and that all divine expressions are expressions of that one God. So all divine experiences, I yes, guess. Are, are emanating from that are, one yes, exactly. particular deity. So I would fall into the hard, hard category then, right? Ultra hard. Ultra polytheism, hard. Hard yeah. polytheist <laughs> and hard animist. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm now floating somewhere between soft and hard polytheist. And I, you know, <laughs> if, there, if there is a middle point in there somewhere. Uh, and over easy? Over easy. <laughs> over easy. An over easy polytheist. <laughs> So your yolk's still soft, but the white is hard. Okay, cool. cooked. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that just goes to show that religion and belief systems can Are be exactly flexible and flexible. And and like Gwen used to be a really soft polytheist. Very much so. And then I moved into a probably a hard polytheist. Mm -hmm. and, and now you've sort of eased, eased back into back a middle ground. Into a middle ground. <laughs> somewhere in the I'm a centrist. <laughs> It's a dirty word. Yes. Don't say that word. Dirty dirt. Dirty dirt. Dirty dirt. But I guess the other thing to say is that it's also a work in progress. It's right. Like my, you know, over the the three years that we've been doing this podcast, my uh, belief system and my path has has changed quite mm -hmm. a bit and has grown. And that's normal. Based on the information that I've had, the experiences with deity that I've had. And I think that's what, what, what vibes with you. What vibes with me, exactly. And I think that's important for people to remember is that you don't have to be stuck in mm -hmm. one expression. You yeah. can have multiple expressions, especially if you have multiple deities. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that's certainly where I'm going. I was going to say, Carl, yeah. talk a little bit yeah. about how... so I consider myself a druid, and I was a part of the ADF until January of this year. Mm -hmm. Was very much like down that Celtic path, but 
I own a brewery that is, well, the meads are called Norse Nectar and our taproom is called Valhalla. And then started doing ritual to Norse gods as part of what we do before we actually open with actually pouring out mead, blowing a horn, yeah, doing offerings. And um, it wasn't just a gimmick. It no, no, yeah, it was, it was truly like, right, exactly. Yep. And for them to help us. And it's something I do every time we're open. But since I started doing that, and the fact that I hang out with a bunch of Odinsons on Three Pagans on Tap, I've been getting pinged like there's no tomorrow by Norse gods. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know where that leads. But at this point, I'm certainly He's like exploring. leaning more He's that exploring. way, figure mm -hmm. out what does this mean? Like, am I moving completely to the Norse pantheon? Or am I mix combining, and mix and matching them? And what works the best? So mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I would say in accordance to what we're talking about here today, for me, that sounds like moving toward a devotee path. Right. A, oh, devotional yeah. yep. a, a devotional relationship. But to explain to our listeners what a devotional path is, right. whether it's to a particular deity, a series, a set of deities, you mm -hmm. know, pantheon, you start, you begin by making these offerings and honoring these deities and devoting honor to those deities. And something that I think it's important to point out about a devotional relationship in particular is that it, it can be essentially a one-way relationship. It can be. Now, it often becomes reciprocal, mm -hmm. like in your case, Car. I also want to point out that I think you were already making de facto mm -hmm. offerings to them. By naming, by shit naming after. things yeah. after them, by telling their stories, invitations. Right. So it was I like think. the beginnings of what could be a devotional path. That doesn't mean it has to be spiritual or religious. There's different kinds of devotion. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like I have a devotional relationship with Hakati, and I started that first through reading a book, but also becoming a devotee member of the Covenant of Hecate. Mm -hmm. And through learning from the teachers and devotees of the Covenant, I've moved forward into becoming a a spiritual devotee of Hecate. It, but in your case, it doesn't necessarily have to be... Right, there doesn't have to be a, an elaborate... You don't have to meditate upon them unless you want to do those things. Just having the reciprocal exchange relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that moves you also into a situation where you start this devotional path because you're making offerings and things, and they become your... Yep. Yeah, which I don't know a whole lot about the matron-patron deity relationship because mm -hmm. I was never a Wiccan. So you were a Wiccan. Mm -hmm. Talk about the matron-patron deity relationship. I don't even know if I understand it completely. I just know that when I began my path, started out in Wicca, and Brigid came to me in a vision, mm -hmm. calling to me to, to work with her, mm -hmm. and that she would be my patron. She would guide me. She would... So would you say it's sort of a mentor relationship? Well, in my case, yes. In my case, it was. But I think you can have different types of patron or matron, depending on how you prefer to call it. Some people prefer to say matron when you're working with a goddess and patron mm -hmm. when you're working with a god. I always just say patron. Yeah, I like to use patron um, as unisex. Yeah, exactly. For me, it was a spiritual supportive relationship that moved into a devotional relationship with her. Mm -hmm. It kind of flows back and forth from sometimes it's a devotional relationship. Sometimes it, she, it leads me into a different path altogether. But she always always remains there watching over mm -hmm. as my patron. Some people experience it in a different way. Like, let's say Frigga. I would consider her probably a patron deity. She I work with exclusively with divination and for matters of our home. So what distinguishes for you between a patron deity and just a deity that you work with? It has more to do with how they respond to me. Okay. Right? Maybe they're there all the time. Maybe they're there some of the time. Like, for instance, I have worked with the Morrigan. I have worked with Artemis. 
Mm-hmm. They have come and gone, but there is one deity who has always remained no matter what I do. Even when I left witchcraft for a time and went back to Christianity, she was still there. And that has always been Brigitte. If that's the case, mm-hmm. if what distinguishes a patron for you is, I guess, the intensity of that reciprocated relationship, would you consider Frigga a patron deity or just a deity you work with frequently on this topic? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, she probably I'm probably more in a devotional relationship with her okay. because I started out working with her as a heart goddess. Right. And then we moved into working divination. as divination, but I began offering devotion to her. So I think it kind of moved into a devotional kind of relation. I'm not always practicing with Brigitte, but she remained. But you'd always consider her your patron. Yes. This is another, there's no pagan Pope moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it, I think it can be fluid. I think it also depends on the individual and what you need in your relationship with that God and what they need from you. There are some deities that, you know, they require. Right. Some have more demanding you. requirements. Yeah. yeah. They de- they demand something different from you. Yeah. The thing is, everybody's, I think, an individual. Yeah. So yeah every, everyone's going to have a different. Yep. I think yep. I've never had a patron deity because, like I said, I associate that as mostly a Wiccan thing. But I think just from the term, like a patron is someone who supports you your art. Mm -hmm. So I would think of a patron deity as someone who provides some kind of material support, spiritually, Mm -hmm. I suppose, for the work that I do for them. See, for me, I would say that was Loki for you. I would consider (laughs) Loki your patron deity. But I would say you said material. So historically, a patron was someone who paid you so that you would produce art. Right, yes. And I guess, like, I consider spellcraft and witchcraft to be a spiritual art, if you will. So if you want, maybe you can see... Right, sort of extrapolating the concept out to spiritual subjects, to spiritual I guess subjects. I would gotcha. say. Spiritual support mm-hmm. for your art. My spirit- the art of witchcraft. The art of witchcraft. She is my patron. A relevant topic to digress slightly into callings. Yes. Not every kind of relationship with the deity springs from a calling. Devotional relationships certainly don't have to. Not everyone is called by their patron deity. Some people just choose a god that they like or they vibe with and they have a, they devote themselves to that person. And that's what I did in the Celtic pantheon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You you looked at the pantheon and said, whom here appeals to me? And said, Dagda looks nice. And that was the one you sort of focused on. Mm -hmm. But you didn't feel a calling from Dagda. Not necessarily, no. Just the one I vibe with. Whereas a calling, it can be more or less dramatic, but that's when a god comes knocking on your door yeah. and says, pay attention. Is there God smack? I think unequivocally, many people will tell you yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that that the, the calling they get is loud and intense. But some, for some people, it's quieter. It's just, mm-hmm. it's you know, just you run into... A little here and there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You run into signs of that god or, or things that are associated with that god on a or, regular basis. Or, or it is something you recognize that has been over a period of time, possibly over a lifetime when you were in another religion. Right, and you notice after the fact. After the fact, you start putting things together mm-hmm. once you have answered this call of mm-hmm. this deity. It happens in, in other religions, too. Yep. People are called to their deities. Called to priesthood. Called to priesthood. El said, God nagged until you say, fine, I'll work with you. <laughs> <laughs> and those kind of callings can lead to different relationships. Exactly. So it's not like being called by God always means you're going to have a particular kind of relationship. It just means they mm-hmm. want your attention. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they, they want work from you or that mm-hmm. you're going to be in the priesthood, yeah. leader of some kind. Or that they you... require any specific task exactly. from you or whatever. 
It just means that for some reason that deity wants your attention. Wants your attention. They tap to you for some reason, but then it's up to you to make that that leap, that leap, that connection, that connection. Exactly. How would you like to receive a week ahead tarot reading for you? And- two friends all the way until summer solstice just head over to jim two snakes facebook page facebook.com forward slash jim two snakes then find the giveaway post like the post and then tag two people in the comments to be entered winners will be announced on earth day normally only patron supporters get the readings on sundays but winners will get special access to these readings for nine weeks In addition, Jim is going to donate $50 in your name to the charity that supports the Mother Earth. Entries collected through April 21st, winners selected on April 22nd. Make sure you are following Jim's page, and if you need spiritual mentoring, coaching, or accountability that can include weekly or monthly phone calls, go to jimtwosnakes.net to find out how Jim can help you. Very good. Burn some rosemary. Burn some rosemary. Hail Dictinus. I would say we were called by Dictinus because we didn't know he existed until we thought we made him up. That's right. And I like what uh, Scubus says. I've had three different deities reach out to me and each of those relationships is very different and each asks for different levels of attention. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every god. <laughs> I'm a hard polytheist. Every god's individual. Yeah, they have they have different needs. They have different reasons for calling people. Different, just different kinds of relationships. And different, your personality. Right, yeah. What's appropriate for one person in a particular relationship may not be appropriate for another person in the same kind of relationship. Something it's maybe time to talk about here is the phenomenon of God spouses. Essentially, that is a person who feels called or drawn to be in a devotional relationship with a deity, a single deity to whom they Not are necessarily. Well, that's true. I'm thinking from the cat. Let's take it from the Catholic. Perspective. Right. We can start from the Catholic and then we'll expand to and the more common modern polytheist right. position. Because you're more familiar with that. Yeah. For instance, in the Catholic church, nuns mm-hmm. are considered married to Christ. They are celibate as part of their religion. Yep. Go through a ceremony where they marry the Lord and they wear a wedding ring that indicates that they are a bride of Christ. Yes. That's part of cult. That's part of Catholicism. And so then they sing, Jesus, I'm going to set you up. Is that the no, deal? No. Okay. Don't be going there. However, however, although nuns who are brides of Christ are required to be celibate. Right. And although it's not church canon. Right. There have been nuns who've written about ecstatic visions of having a sexual relationship with the God to whom they are married. That's true. That's true. And I think... And like I said, that's not generally accepted church canon. No. You'll find that mostly among the Apocrypha. Yeah. But it does exist. Also, the concept has some evidence in ancient pagan traditions, Mm -hmm. and it's seen some resurgence Mm -hmm. in modern traditions. Mm -hmm. It gets a lot of flack from strangely puritanical pagans (laughs) who think the idea of devotees being married to and having ecstatic, mystical, or astral sex with a god is gross or icky. Icky. (laughs) Icky. Technical term. Yeah, well, frankly, you will see a lot of them use that, (laughs) that exact language. But yeah, the phenomenon exists. There are people who are married to their gods. These are not always celibate relationships, unlike the nuns. Oftentimes, they have a mortal spouse. Oftentimes, they have relationships of, of other 
kinds with other God. All that stuff is stuff that they have to work out individually in their spiritual marriage contract. Mm -hmm. But so that kind of relationship does exist. It's not as common, I think, mm -hmm. as less intensive relationships are. But God spouses are a legitimate phenomenon. Oh, and yeah. I think they get more flack than they deserve. They get a lot right. of derision. Yeah, they do. That they absolutely don't deserve. If that is the relationship that these people have consensually entered exactly. with their deity, why is that not okay? I mean... We had all kinds of fertility cults. Yeah. And, yeah. So could you have a poly relationship with God? Yeah. If that's part of your marriage contract. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think the, the thing to remember, I guess, for the concept of God spouses is it works best with hard polytheism. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how it would mesh with soft polytheism, but, but for hard polytheists, the gods are individuals. Mm -hmm. If they like have a loving romantic relationship with a mortal being mm -hmm. and they want to get married to that mortal being, and okay. I think, <laughs> and I think it comes down to contracts. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. and if this person... And they have all kinds of myths about gods getting it on with mortals. Right, right. but I mean, most of them are right. Exactly. So well, much means, better to have a true exactly. contract. Much, have a true much better contract. to have consensual relationships. Right, yeah, with exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's this is a good evolution. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I don't see why it would be frowned upon by other pagans. Mm -hmm upon those who do practice this because it's not like they're advocating it for everyone they're just saying this is their own relationship right, yeah. exactly how it works with their, it's how it works with their deities exactly. right. they're not saying and, you have to do it and I think some people get offended by them sharing their experiences publicly but that's how you build communities right is mm -hmm. by sharing your experiences publicly maybe just back off like you don't have to be part of that community they're right. not saying you have to be they're just trying to build a community for themselves. Right. Well, I, I would say like even in like polyamorous relationships, like there's a lot of people who are fine with it who aren't involved in it. Exactly. And exactly. so it's the same kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I like what Steph just said. Okay. The things I don't understand are those that think they can be the only ones to be a spouse to a certain guy by discrediting the experience of others. Yeah, that's... I, you're going to see some of that, but it's going to be a small minority, is well, what I would say. Like, don't let those people discredit every other god spouse right. in existence. Mm -hmm. But yeah, obviously, don't listen to those people. They're just being assholes. Yeah. Now, I think another type of relationship that people can get into with deities that has to be entered in with wisdom mm -hmm. and you know knowing what you're getting into is those who are oath sworn. You know. Yes. That is not something you just do willy-nilly. Not casually. That's not a casual thing that you do. Oaths are a serious business. That's right. And you don't make an oath to a deity unless you mean it. Generally speaking, there are consequences for breaking those oaths. You don't do it in the midst of an ecstatic experience no. when your judgment is clouded. Mm -hmm. you, know. you should only enter oaths when fully sober and having considered all of the possible consequences. Exactly. Additional types of things. You know, you might get a deity who have a task for you to perform that might be one task that might be a series of tasks mm -hmm. that might be a, a lifelong lifetime. obligation and that could again walk you know go into this oath sworn mm -hmm. kind of relationship and say so you have to know what is it they're asking of me is this, right. is this something i'm expected to do for the rest of my life is this a one-time contract what or, taboos does it come what with? taboos does it come with what does the data expect go back to that uh experience i had with Takati. you weren't clean enough i wasn't clean enough i hadn't taken a full-blown ritual shower right mm -hmm. 
and changed into fresh clothes. Kathy's a know. stickler on that one. Yeah. With yeah. you, at least. With but me. not with everyone, but definitely now, with you. Over time, that has softened. She's, she's eased but, some of that obligation. Yeah, she's eased that obligation. Do you think she was sort of testing your dedication? I think it was that, but I also think it was just to help me get into a mindset, mm-hmm. honestly, of devotion, because that was what I was working toward. Mm-hmm was becoming a devotee. Right. And so this was, okay, if you're serious about this, this is this is what's required of you. So I went into this understanding, this is what was required. Right. I think that's something that people have to take into account. They have to know the history of their deity. Right. The mythology of their deity. And then listen, what is what do they require? Because I knew right away she was not pleased. She was like, no, no, that's not going to be good enough. <laughs> Go away and try again. Go away, try it again, do it tomorrow. And uh, and you have to be teachable. Right. I think it's important when you're going to gods, especially gods you don't know very well, mm-hmm. or you're just learning about, mm-hmm. there has to be a certain amount of setting aside your ego. Yeah. And how you think it should be done. The god you're reaching out to may have a very different opinion from you of how it should be done. Trying to set up a relationship with them, probably meet them where they're at. There's also, and you don't see this one talked about much, there's also a type of relationship which you'll occasionally see called a god slave. I think Kraskova forwards this theory. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Kraskova here really briefly because I want to talk about this concept, but I want to divorce it from Kraskova. I was going to say, wasn't she kind of described? Yeah, Galina Kraskova mm. is a crypto-fascist and a Nazi apologist, essentially. Mm. So we're not going to be doing Galina Kraskova things. Yeah, and I believe a good friend of ours has stepped away from Yes, her, yep. removed himself from her lineage. Yeah, yep. crypto-fascist. What's that mean, Stephanie? Uh, crypto-fascist is someone who has fascist ideologies but tries to disguise them and make them more palatable to non-fascists. They are stealthy and use dog whistles, but if you know those dog whistles, you can identify them them in the wild. Galina Kraskova has all the hallmarks of a crypto-fascist. I've said, ah, so a dickhead. Yes. <laughs> God slave, as Kraskova defines it, is someone who has consensually entered into a non-consensual relationship with a god. Essentially, you get the option to say no at the beginning, that you don't want to belong to this god. Okay. But once you say yes, you can't back out. I wonder if you that... permanently belong as property to this god. I saw a term that I was a little like Mm-hmm. about called God stock. Yeah. That this is a deity who won't take no for an answer. Yes. And then once you do say yes, you are committed. Yeah. And I want to talk about that concept. Mm-hmm. That situation, let's it's say. I would say nope. Yeah. And yeah. ew. 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 <laughs> and no are my two words for that whole situation and people should run the fuck away. Uh-huh. Yeah. From anybody who brings it up. Now, I want to be careful here because I can see a situation where this could be a Appealing to someone, especially someone who's, who like has a kink lifestyle, right? Who has a comfortability with a, a dominance and submission mm-hmm. framework. Mm-hmm. But BDSM kink, dominance and submission, should and must ethically always be consensual. consensual. Right. All stages of it are consensual, mm-hmm. and a non-consent should be essentially fake. It's pretend non-consent mm-hmm. for the sake of the feeling it can drive in you, right? But all of that stuff is negotiated ahead of time. Right. You establish all of your limits and your rules in a contract ahead of time with the person who's going to have this power over you. There are limits in place. Over Anything goes, over but you. these are my hard limits. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Within these rules, 
I belong to you. And for some people, that's a full-time thing. For some people, it's a time-limited thing. Your kink mm-hmm. is entirely up to you. In that kind of framework, something like being a god slave makes sense to me and seems like it could be a safe and an ethical relationship mm-hmm. to have. If you genuinely believe that once you enter into a relationship with a god, you are not permitted to leave it, it is an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the outset. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you shouldn't be in it. I could go somewhere with this, but I'm going to refrain. Christianity. <coughs> I didn't say it. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I can't just want to completely went over my head. In something like a, a safe, sane, and consensual BDSM framework, a god slave could be a valid and sure. fulfilling relationship to have with a yep. deity. Yep. So surrender your will to a deity within certain limits mm-hmm. and say, you decide what I do with it in this framework, in this sphere of influence. And there are major religions where that works well for people mm-hmm. and they accept it. That is fine for them. And there are certainly who have those kind of relationships with their gods who are so devoted or who feel that a god is making better decisions for them than they could make that that's the kind of relationship they want but it should from my perspective always have the same sort of rules that a BDSM relationship has I agree that's a subject I wanted to cover yeah and to make sure that we covered carefully especially because of the the god stalked the god slave mm-hmm. con- concepts that are floating out there yeah and like be- I said you see them you don't, you don't see them talked about frequently but yeah. occasionally you see it come up and, and you so do I think a be. lot of it does unfortunately Kraskova is the one who talks about it most and she has what I would consider issues the bad one the bad yeah. definition of that yeah absolutely thanks to our tiger Solanox for introducing us to Weavers of the Web an interfaith pagan ATC that stands for Aquarian Tabernacle Church organized in Lansing Michigan Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims to be family friendly supportive and informative with the goal of ensuring that no one ever needs be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for the down payment on a property, which would allow them to expand their current network of resources. During this time of social distancing, though, you can find them online at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash weaversatc. Weavers is also holding regular Zoom meetings, online rituals, and Discord discussions during this time. And let me just say, I talked to our Tiger Solanots, mm-hmm. and they actually have probably half of their members currently is from outside of the state of Michigan because people are joining online. That's so if you have the opportunity, join them online. Yeah. Hail Dictinus. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say another relationship a pagan can have Oracle. Right. That oracle. Of an oracle yes. or a prophet where they are allow themselves to be used as a voice of a conduit. Yeah, a conduit for their deity where they are either being, you know, allowing full trans possession mm-hmm. or they are aspecting the deity or or just receiving messages. Or just receiving messages to share. Mm-hmm. A prophet I think would probably be along the lines of someone who is receiving messages to share. Or a word of knowledge. Or a word of yeah. knowledge. Yeah, that kind of Christian thing. department. I've experienced aspecting a deity where mm-hmm. you're still in control of yourself and aware of everything that's going on, but that deity is their personality, is there too, and speaking through you. It's a very right. weird Sort experience. of backseat driving. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And you kind of, you actually take, when you realize the right. deity. You take the backseat. You take the backseat and the deity takes control. Mm-hmm. And it's a very unique experience. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have those. Uh, full transpossession. Full transpossession. Where they're not conscious at all of what's happening. The essence of that right. deity. God descends into that person. So that's a type of relationship. That's sure. a type of that's relationship. That's one of the very intense relationships. And generally not something you can train to do. No, that's no, something yeah. where someone is they have that kind of innate yeah. ability. But for instance, in the ancient world, you know, mm-hmm. they had oracles. 
oracles. They had the Oracle of Delphi. They had Hecate had oracles. Many of the deities had oracles that where people came to speak to, to the individual who was housing the deity that day. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that all, although sometimes the terms we're using are new, God's spouse is a new term, mm-hmm. the concepts are not new. They're ancient. These are, these are ancient ways to have relationships mm-hmm. with deities. If they were new, it wouldn't be a problem. Right. It would be just a new way to interact with the deities, mm-hmm. but they're not new. You see a lot of people referring to a variety of these relationships as fads. So a lot, in a lot of cases, we just get new terms for yeah. these old traditions. Exactly. So I have a couple of questions then, relating back to Christianity. So what you were just talking about, Gwen, what, what did you call it? Aspecting? Yeah, aspecting. So do you think Paul was aspecting God or slash Jesus? No, not at all. When writing, no, the, when writing the New Testament? No, calling no. Okay. I don't think any of the Gospels or the books of the Bible, with the exception of revelatory ones, the like Revelation and the prophetic books, those, I think, were probably people who were experiencing visions mm-hmm. and they were writing down. They were reporting the visions they were experiencing, like Daniel and uh, John, the revelator, and Isaiah. Right. Jeremiah. They were having visions. And so they were writing those down. And I believe they were having honest to goodness visions mm-hmm. and mystical experiences. mystical experiences that they were, and they were considered prophets. They mm-hmm. were receiving these messages from God. But I think that like Paul and the, the other gospels and the letters that were written by Peter, I think those were personal interpretations of doctrine, of doctrine and lessons they learned. The, uh, the, the reason why I asked specifically about Paul was because according to the Bible, he was blinded by a revelation of God. Right. So like it actually blinded him yeah. physically because right. of God's presence. So that's the reason why I was asking that question specifically about Paul because he did have that revelatory, re- revelatory mm-hmm. experience. I think he, but his revelatory experience was, it was the, for the purpose of showing him he was wrong and right. converting him. There's no evidence that, that he was zapped with a whole eternity's worth of knowledge about Christianity should become. of what it should become. But no, I don't think the whole thing was done. Okay. I'm not really paying attention, but holy sex swing just came up on the uh, Patreon question. So <laughs> yeah, they're having a whole uh, other discussion. Pagan religion or Hindu or Buddhist or Christian or Muslim. Any yeah. religion where mysticism exists. Mysticism exists. Right. So you're going to have these kind of experiences with different people, whether it was in their holy scriptures or modern day practitioners. There are going to be people who have these types of relationships. They just may interpret them differently. Right. Exactly. Based on their... U- using different language. Yeah, using right. different language and using the terms of their belief structure. Mm-hmm. Because all of this is, is humans trying to make sense of divine experiences. Right? Right. Exactly. And, and then share those experiences with other humans. And that's really what religion is anyway. Uh-huh. It's, it's a way to connect to the deities, to understand mystery, to have that spiritual connection mm-hmm. to the world and to each other. No? And the divine. And the divine. Sometimes not to each other. Sometimes very Sometimes. specific. In this case, very specifically very to the divine. Very specifically to Right. But you get what I'm trying to say. One other type of relationship that's sort of specific to heathenry, but it may have corollaries in other traditions, is Fultroy. Never heard of it. <laughs> So Fultre is usually is usually translated as God friend, but it's it would be better described as representative mm-hmm. or trusted agent. Would that be like a priesthood? Good question. <laughs> so traditionally, yes, Fultre would probably be a priest mm-hmm. of some kind. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, mixed bag. <laughs> so part of that is because of the way our society's work has changed, and it's not appropriate for everyone who has a relationship with God to be a priest. Right. Sometimes 
that's because people are using term Fultrui as basically like a heathen insert for patron deity. Okay. Which isn't really what it means. We'll get into that. We we have some individuals in the sagas who are described as special friends of particular gods. They weren't always priests. There was a, a guy who's described in one of the sagas as one of Frey's special friends. <laughs> I hear that as sex slave. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just he had a, a unique relationship with Frey and that showed in how he comported himself. Tef says, I hear friends with benefits, but sure. <laughs> Rabbit says, and they were roommates. <laughs> um, Confirmed bachelors. Uh-huh. <laughs> Frey did have some some male priests who dressed as women. Throwing that out there. Hey, that's very cool. Yeah. But what a full Troy is uh, for modern heathenry, like I said, it sort of varies because some people are using people are using Fultry in very diverse ways. So some people will describe uh, a god that they're close to as their Fultroy, which is an interesting reversal of the intended use. The human is supposed to be the Fultroy, the trusted agent of the god. The god is not supposed to be the trusted agent of the human. That does seem a little bit uh, skewed. Little, yeah. little, I think it's. I think there's maybe some confusion there. Do you know what? That reminds me of when we talked about tools in building your book. And yes, people about gods people and goddesses, goddesses as the tools. tools. We were like, no, yeah, absolutely not. I remember that. That is definitely a no yeah, in so, my book. So personally, I would not call a deity my Fultroy, but I think part of the reason that's happened is that people have sort of conflated the Fultroy relationship with the matron or patron relationship. Okay. So they hear Fultroy, they see god friends, they maybe see like a little one sentence description of, this is a god you have a special relationship with, and they think that's the heathen equivalent of a patron deity, therefore a deity I have a special special relationship is my Fultroy. Could be a spatial relationship. A deity you're physically close to. <laughs> <laughs> a more complete definition of, of a Fultroy is a person who has a position of as a representative of a god whose job is to represent that god's interests in the mortal world. Now that does not necessarily mean a position of authority. It does not necessarily mean you have to tell anyone. It does not necessarily mean you have to be openly worshipping that god. It means you have to represent the interests that god has presented to you as things that they want done. It means they have essentially given you a job mm-hmm. and you are obligated to fulfill the responsibilities of that job and they are trusting you to represent their interests in mortal space as they have been delivered unto you. Now see, I would say that that would be the kind of relationship where someone feels that the deity is calling them to say, like, decide mm-hmm. cleaning up the ocean right. Right? Or, or cleaning the beaches as a working as a work for, for them, yes. as a work for Poseidon. And, and for the glory of Poseidon, and for, essentially. Yeah, exactly. To be Poseidon's representative and do this specific task that Poseidon has determined is an obligation for them. That is what I'm hearing would be a similar kind of... I don't think there's a specific word for that, necessarily. In, in other traditions? In other traditions. Okay. But I think that that's, that idea is that a deity has called you to do a specific task yes. in their name. Yes, Exactly. But I like your fancy word, because I don't think there is one. <laughs> <laughs> but I like your fancy words. Uh-huh. Um, some, a 
okay, so here's a bit of trivia for you. In the Icelandic translation of The Avengers, Thor, comic book character Thor, who was inspired by the god Thor, called Agent Coulson a Fultroy. Oh, interesting. A trusted agent given responsibility to manage interests mm -hmm. in the mortal realm. That's the perfect... <laughs> I understand now. <laughs> you are so, being Agent so, Coulson. Exactly. So if you are a God's Fultroy, you are their Agent Coulson. They are expecting you to be competent and skilled in a particular area and to represent their interests. See, I, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> you should have led with that. You should have led with that. That makes perfect sense. But I do, again, I, I do think that there are there is a similar concept in other traditions mm -hmm. and with other pantheons. I think they just don't have the same terminology. Like a specific language for it. A specific it, yeah. language or a specific terminology for it. It's just, you know, you are called to honor this particular deity by doing this particular task mm -hmm. in the mortal realm. And so there's a little bit of a misconception that being Fultroy makes you important or gives you any kind of special authority or power. It really does. It just means got tapped for a job. Right, right. And then, yeah, and you do, that may or may not include people who consider themselves clergy. Exactly. You don't have to be a priest to be Fultroy. You may not. It may honestly be as simple as comport yourself as this god would like mm -hmm. to be represented. And in that case, that you could almost say that is kind of an aspect. A very mild aspect. But very mild. Yeah. It can encompass numerous, numerous things. things. It's usually attached to a devotional relationship, yeah. but strictly speaking, I suppose it would doesn't have to be. Right. If you got tapped by a god and said, sure, even though you weren't in a devotional relationship with them, you would be full Troy. Right. I like this. Yeah. So. That's a cool concept. And I think we've pretty much talked about all the ones that I can think of. I mean, the only other thing would be clergy who are devotees, essentially, who've been elevated to a, a teaching or leading Right, to position, positions of authority. To positions of authority. Mm -hmm over other devotees. Right. Or other people in the religion. <laughs> other yeah. people in the religion or the path or the tradition or whatever. Who, you who provide spiritual services. And guidance. Yes. For, especially for people who are new. Right. I feel like the the hope with clergy is mm -hmm. that they're more experienced than you, however experienced you are. <laughs> now, in some traditions, though, the clergy, like going back to Catholicism mm -hmm. or some other traditions and religions, clergy actually acts as the representative of the deity right. for the parishioner or the devotee to the deity. Right. They're a direct intercessor. They're a direct intercessor. You're talking to the clergy. When you, when you go into confessional and talk to a priest, they're then talking talk God for mm -hmm. you. They, they're acting as a conduit. Clergy can be a complex relationship. It can be a, mm -hmm. com a complex relationship. Not only do they have to juggle their relationship with the deity, but with parishioners, but with and, parishioners other, yeah, and make people in the religion. And making sure that authority is not being abused, abused which we know happens frequently yeah. in many places and many religions. Including pagan ones. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's not uh, throw that out again. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not you know, let and, paganism off the hook. Let yeah. paganism off the hook. We've it, had plenty of cases of spiritual abuse in our community. Yeah, and we it's ongoing, so and something we need to be aware of. Sometimes, and this is it's relevant to this topic because yes, sometimes people use the relationships they have with deities mm -hmm. as excuses mm -hmm. for spiritual abuse yeah. or bad behavior in general. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. They they say you know oh well I'm an oracle of so and so so I have more authority than you and 
my words are are more valuable than yours. And what I say goes, you must obey me. You know? And that would be breach of trust and exactly. abuse of authority. Exactly. So these relationships, as a general rule, don't give you any special authority over anyone else. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And I think that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. And, and we always have to go into all of these relationships, whatever they may be, whether they're with a deity, mm-hmm. with a coven, with within a tradition, or with a partner. Mm-hmm. You always have to go in it with your eyes open, mm-hmm. with being knowledge and wisdom, using wisdom, and having autonomy and consent. Safe, sane, and consensual. That's right. Okay. I think that's it for me. Is that it? Yep. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cap, Sex Swing, Vines, oh my God. Fancy Words, <laughs> only on Three Pack. <laughs> You can find us at threepagansandacat.com or just Google the number three pagans and a cat.